some huge hot button issues of our day would be abortion, uh, trafficking, the sex industry. So what if we brought in an expert who is actually helping people with a biblical framework in all of those scenarios? That would be incredible. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm Taylor. And I'm Brian. Welcome to the Echo Podcast. Where we are looking for truth in the noise. Welcome uh, back to the Echo Podcast. Taylor, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, Brian. How are you doing? We are uh, doing doing well. Family's doing well. And I'm even doing better because we're joined by my friend, Carolyn Shragi, who's joining us from Joplin, Missouri. Carolyn, how are you? I'm fine. Thanks for the privilege of joining you guys. Now, to be yeah. fair, she's, yeah, she's not with us in the studio. We are doing this through the wonders of technology. That's right. That's right. And Carolyn is on the board of trustees with me for Ozark Christian College. And you all can only hear the audio, but she always has the best background. She has this really cool painting behind her that makes everybody else in Zoom meetings look bad. (laughs) It's not on purpose. (laughs) Well, uh, Carolyn, uh, we want to hear a little bit about your story. And we're doing several episodes kind of centered on biblical justice and your work for uh, people uh, who are in really difficult situations or crisis pregnancies, and think about that. Think about those who are unborn. Think about those who have been trafficked. Um, all these people made in the image of God, and you have a heart for. But before we get there, uh, I'd like to just kind of hear a little bit about your backstory. When did you when did you start uh, f- uh, following Jesus? You know, I was really privileged to be raised in a home that was filled with loving, kingdom focused parents. And at the age of 10, I knew that I wanted to be a Jesus follower too. And so after several conversations with my parents, um, I was baptized and then began my own Jesus following journey. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that we could spend many, many days and episodes talking about your time overseas, but can you give us just a couple minute overview of your life kind of from college up until when you moved back to the States? Uh, Sure. It kind of started at the age of 14 months when I headed on a Norwegian tanker along with my parents to Africa. Um, We had no idea where we were going to put into port, but they knew that they were called to go to Africa. And so after 14 years of living there, uh, we returned to the States. And then I went to high school, finished high school in the States, went to OCC, Ozark Christian College. Then I went on to nursing school married my then my now husband and we've been married almost 40 years and we went back to Africa for 20 years and lived in Kenya and then we came back to the states and I've now been 17 years working at Choices Medical Services which is a sexual health clinic yeah yeah uh, what drew you to the kind of ministry that that is Choices Medical you know I think the holistic approach through medicine being an RN really led me to this platform that combined the excellence and the best practices in the medical field, but also with that missionary heart. And the focus that we have on prevention education, we're in 14 school districts, along with the medical intervention for pregnancy issues, you know, being able to give that 
early verification of pregnancy and doing the ultrasounds and having those consultation of the OBs here on site, that's just a, a wonderful platform of exposing life to others. And then, of course, we do the HIV STD testing for both men and women. Um, and then that led to us being able to evolve into working alongside law enforcement and the domestic trafficking issues. And then, of course, we also get to do the extension services, which really helps young families new learn new resiliency skills and also just do that parenting connection and also the church connections. Yeah. So wow. it's fair to say that your your ministry has kind of mushroomed <laughs> into something bigger uh, and, and it seems to just kind of keep expanding in its influence. Um, I, I'd love to just hear maybe if you could give a few examples of the types of situations people are facing when they when they come to you for help. You know, I, I appreciate that, Brian, because I think a lot of times it feels like we're trying to run to catch up with God because yeah. he's just pushing us into a lot of these um, different directions. But at the end of the day, it's the face behind every situation that really draws us to humanity. You know, I think of the young man that um, had a one night stand um, after being sent on his very first work trip. And at the age of 19, he comes in for testing and finds out that he's positive for HIV. And so the rest of his life he's going to have to deal with some of the complications of that one night choice. Um, I think of the young couple that came in that had three kids that had been promised a job. They're living in a hotel room and she finds out she's six weeks pregnant. COVID hits, the job falls through and suddenly they have an unplanned pregnancy and how on earth financially are they going to afford another child? And so they're faced with the option of abortion and how to get rid of now this problem that has invaded their life. Um, I think of the young girl that, you know, was working so hard to leave the game, to get out of a trafficking situation and then was caught up by her trafficker, was incredibly abused and left broken, referred to us. And then after coming to us for part of her safety plan, she finds out that that assault resulted in an unplanned pregnancy, and where does she go from now? You know, I think all of those situations, um, you know, they're they're the ones that draw us to do what we're doing because people in crisis need people who care. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Each each one of those issues is just so so heavy. Uh, what does what does kind of help look like in your context? You know, I think overall help looks like compassion. But it also looks like those tangible solutions that really say we care. And it's above and, and beyond, it's listening. And it's having that non-judgmental acceptance, no matter what the circumstance, you're accepting the person. And, you know, I think for us, we see that every single person that walks through our clinic doors or that is on an operation, when we're in a truck stop, we're in a casino and we're reaching out to people, we see them as pre-followers. And it's our opportunity to be gospel whispers and to encourage them and to draw them into that circle of response to, you know, whether it's providing testing or providing the ultrasounds, maybe it's giving safe passage to a shelter. It may be adoption resources. 
Um, but it's it's being a bridge to other kingdom resources. And so, you know, we want to make sure that there's a hot meal waiting when there's an interview taking place or there's a place to go for a hot shower. Um, it may be giving a go bag that has the comfort clothes that they need. Sometimes it's just making sure that we have those warm, soft, fuzzy blankets in every room that embraces someone and says that we we have a safety plan and that we care. I'm going to guess that one of the things that you all have had to work through is as you talk to maybe potential supporters of your ministry or just talk with people who um, have a very strong uh, feeling about abortion politically, um, uh, what is something that you wish Christians would know or do in regards to how they engage with the issue of crisis pregnancy or abortion that is most helpful for the, the women who you often are working with? You know, I love the quote that says, don't judge a person by the chapter you walked in on. And I think that's so important for us as Christians to understand that we can expect someone to have the moral compass that we do when they haven't even had access to the Holy Spirit or to a loving image of who our Father is. And so I think it's so important that we really understand that our job is not to make sure that somebody aligns with us, but that we're wooing them to the warm embrace of what Christianity and what Christ should be all about. It's not about judgment. You know, I think it's not about handing somebody a card and inviting them to church as much as it is saying, hey, would you meet me for coffee Sunday morning? And then realizing that, you know what, maybe it's not about taking them to church, but it's about being the church right there in that moment, sitting with them, uh, leaning into that conversation. Um, A Catholic priest who's a good friend of mine, he said, you know, loitering with intent is one of the most energy depleting um, aspects of relationship building. And I I think that's so true. We have to be consciously giving of ourselves to build that relationship so that we earn the right to be able to speak Jesus into their lives. It's not about us, you know, drawing them into our Jesus circle. It's really about taking Jesus into their circles. Yeah, just as I'm thinking about the work that you do, just the image that's coming to mind is it seems like your whole uh, organization is offering hugs instead of a shaming finger being pointed uh, in all of these different scenarios that have so kind of a stigma attached to them or shame attached to them. And I imagine that that guilt and that shame uh, just works against people hearing the gospel. Is that what you've seen? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think that the shame that often is projected um, is is so self-inflicting. They don't need somebody else to wag a finger at them. Um, They need to know about the forgiveness. They need to know about redemption and about um, that non-judgmental loving environment. You know, for us, sometimes you're right that sometimes the the conflict that comes more so is not from the world that walks in our door, but from the preconceived notion of what we should or shouldn't do. You know, I think we have to, to understand that it is a systemic response 
that the church needs to have, not simply a symptomatic reaction. You know, we want to focus on abortion or sex trafficking or sexual orientations as the point of contention, when really we know that the systematic approach is not to focus on those symptoms, but to really focus on the heart. Why is someone missing that intimacy with God that led them to that place? And so if we can get past the symptoms and really look at the the symptomatic problems, then suddenly we've got a platform with which to really love people and love them well. Yeah, that's really good. Um, Can you share about some of the work um, you are doing to help trafficking victims? Sure. The everyday services that we provide in our clinics and through our medical mobile unit, they've really postured our teams to be kind of at the ready to identify victims of trafficking. And that's led us to then have a platform with law enforcement that have called us in whenever they have um, some kind of a situation. And, you know, so often once they've dealt with their aspect of putting the bad guy in jail or, you know, doing the arresting, what do they do with the victims? And so that's where our team, you know, we're used to walking alongside those that have been victimized. And so I serve on the attorney general's task force for Missouri, and that has led to several law enforcement entities on all level um, that really utilize our services and call in our team when they have large scale deployments where we go into a situation, we have our team, we set up everything from a hot meal station to a medical station um, to, we call it a widget station, but it's where people can um, literally play with Play-Doh or have stress balls or have art therapy while they're waiting for a copy of their phone to be made um, by law enforcement. And then we have the aftercare station, which helps us to identify what are the needs that have led someone to this point in their life and how can we understand um, is it a transportation issue? Maybe they need to get someplace safe. Is it a resource? Do they need counseling? Do they need drug rehabilitation? Like we're, we're able to step in there and look at a very holistic view of what's going on and undergird that and make sure that we can then connect those resources so that they can, they can move on beyond this stage and into a new chapter of hope, a new chapter of someone believing in them and giving them an option and a way out. Um, you know, I, I think of the times that one of the FBI agents that we work with, you know, he pulls me in for the interview and I introduce myself as, hey, I'm Carolyn. I am not with law enforcement. I am not with any government agency. I'm just a member of the community that cares that you're safe. When he's done with his interview, then we'll talk about what safety looks like for you. And in some of those situations, I've seen him address a young woman and say, you know, I have been looking for you for five years, or I've been looking for you for six years, ever since you ran away from home. And today, you've made my day because I found you. And for this young woman to just start weeping and saying, I didn't know anybody was looking for me. I didn't think that anybody really cared that I had walked away. And those kinds of connections, um, you know, whether it's a a voiceless victim in the womb or it's that voiceless victim on the street, we have the opportunity to be people of justice and to speak up and to speak out. Wow. Yeah, you mentioned that, that word justice there again. So how has biblical justice 
been foundational to, to your work and what does that look like? You know, Brian, I love the scripture, Proverbs 31, 8, that basically says, speak up for the people who have no voice, for the rights of all the down and outers, speak out for justice. And I think it's not enough to talk about justice. It's got to be that space where we choose to live, where we choose to stand on a daily basis. And we can all speak out for justice in all the different areas, you know, whether that's supporting someone who is in the heart of a justice issue, whether that's being there for that single mom and walking alongside with her, um, those that choose to make adoption a part of their family. These are all ways that we as the church can speak up and speak out for justice. C.T. Stead makes the, the observation that some want to live within the sound of a chapel or a church bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And I think that's where we as Christians, we all have to aspire to running those rescue shops within a yard of hell. It's not about our comfort. That's not what we're called when we're called to go into battle. We're called to be uncomfortable. We're called to speak up and to be that lifelink for someone that doesn't have the great kingdom-focused parents that maybe I've had or that others have had. Um, we get to be those parents for those that nobody's spoken up for. We get to um, be there for those that have been cast away and labeled as a social burden of prostitution. We get to be there for those that their sexual orientation has eliminated them from any church walk. We get to stand in that gap and we get to be gospel whispers. One of the things that just jumped out at me was that you're telling me that government entities are calling believers like you saying, help, would you come help us? Why, why is it that these government entities are coming to uh, faithful believers and saying, help? I guess what, what has transpired for that to happen? You know, I think it really started with having the best practices and being individuals of high integrity and aspiring to do things with excellence. And I think sometimes a lot of Christians, we get the bad rap of being the church basement kind of organizations. But if we can step up our game and we can do things with um, a high level of excellence, we're serving the King of Kings. So we ought to be aspiring to be just the most incredibly excellent platform of everything we do. And in doing so, we then earn the right to be called. And then the tag along is that, hey, we also happen to be Christians, but we're stepping in to be first and foremost, those individuals of excellence and high integrity who people don't necessarily know that we lead by Jesus because we lead by the excellence with which we're bringing services, but he is the platform. He's the motivation. He's the passion behind why we serve with compassion. It sounds like the motivation for your activity ultimately is we love because Christ first loved us. So even if individuals don't come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, they still deserve good treatment and justice and, and, and to treat them as individuals with dignity. How are you able to maintain 
I, I guess, a healthy perspective on even if these people don't become Christians, we're still going to treat them, I think, as you said, as pre-believers. You know, I, I appreciate that question because I think that's something that is a challenge that we're often given. Um, we know that sometimes it may take a cross-section of multiple Christ believers whispering the gospel in. And so I may never know the result of a kindness and how that kindness has been received, but that's not, I don't, I'm not always promised that I'm going to see the harvest. I'm promised that I plant the seeds. And so every seed I plant, I want to make sure that I've tilled the soil, that I've prepped everything that I can, that I've planted that seed in the best manner to give it the best opportunity for God then to grow it at whatever stage that is. Someone else is going to come along and perhaps water that seed or fertilize that seed down the road. But if we're all aspiring to every cross section of someone's life, we're pouring in kindness. It may be the 16th time before someone actually begins to believe. But if we see them as pre-followers, then we know that we're not wasting our time. We're not wasting our resources. Um, and it's not up to me to know what that end result is. It's just up to me to be obedient to provide that justice pathway in that moment. Yeah, it sounds to me that your nearness to those individuals who desperately need the services that you're offering, that kind of helps you refrain from a judgmental attitude and that, that helps you not look down upon them um, because of circumstances or because of their life choices. Um, how often do you have to deal with individuals in your group who you have to remind them, hey, we're not here to be judgmental. We're, we're not here to do this. We're here to provide a service. Well, I think my team that that I lead at the clinics, we have two, clinic, two clinics and then the medical unit. Um, you know, we have a culture that we've adapted on our team that just puts people first and programs last. And so it is that focus on um, being there for people in their moment that I think draws the attention that we're, we have Christ at our focus. We don't always get to lead with Christ when we're walking into a room, but we can shore each other up. And so a lot of it is the, the culture of caring that has to be inbred, has to be um, foundationally. We have to be sourced up to God first and foremost, and then rallied as a team to make sure that our battle is not against the world. Our battle is against the, the evil that's out there. And so if we as Christians are connected in unity, and we have the policies and the procedures that don't let us stray and keep us on the road, it, it's, it goes back to that motivation. Our motivation is Christ. Our motivation is wanting others who don't have the loving, amazing father that we have to come into our family. But who wants to come into a family if it's divisiveness, if it's inbred fighting, if it's, you know, the harsh reality? No, we want a family that unites and we're all of the same mind, you know, from the person that answers the phone in the middle of the night for a crisis call to the person at the reception to, you know, our team of medical that are serving to the volunteer doctors that come in, even to our donors. We want them to be giving, not because it's a political agenda. We want them to be giving because this is the cause of Christ. This is a social justice issue 
that goes far beyond into a biblical premise of obedience. I love that phrase, gospel whisperer. I, I think that's very apt. And if more people could gravitate to that idea, I think we'd have more effective ministries that don't feel like they have to cram Christianity to their good works and their services that they're providing. You know, I, I think part of what I have been humbled by is how much we still have yet to learn, even as seasoned, mature Christians in the faith, some of my most basic and incredible lessons in following Jesus come from those who don't yet know him. And so as we're challenged in the honesty and in the genuine seeking of some, you know, I I love the transparency and the vulnerability that some of the dark places that I've been, um, you know, I can, I can walk in with a meal into an adult entertainment industry, um, commercial exploitation field. I can bring a meal every Wednesday night and I can serve the people that are there. And I know that we've got our men in the parking lot that are praying over us, that are making sure that the conversations inside are focused on those things that will draw people to Jesus. But it is those realistic naked hugs that people are drawn to because they want light. They are drawn to the light. But what does our light look like? Does it look like a floodlight that is glaring or is it the warm flicker that draws people to to want to come? And so I think how we woo people to Christ makes a big difference than if it's a spotlight or it's a flicker of a candle. I love that. Yeah, that that's that's really helpful to think through. Uh, what would you say as we're kind of drawing this towards towards the conclusion here? Just advice for people who are hearing this, and maybe they care about one of these causes, and maybe they maybe their act, activity around that has only just been with words or posting something on social media. Uh, or maybe in a ballot box, and all of those things may be valid at different points, but maybe they're ready to take a step of like engaging on a more deep level. What would be kind of your encouragement to them in one of those ways? Well, I think there are always going to be justice causes that are in your community, and just don't hesitate to get out of your comfort zone and make a call. You know, sign up to be one of those people that goes in with a team to a strip club, or if you're the kind of person that goes, wow, that is not my bag of chips, but I can send chips or I can send a meal or I can do the baking, then sign up to do that. You know, look for those creative ways that God has blessed you with talents and skills. Maybe it's putting together goodie bags. Maybe it's knitting, crocheting those things that can be given to a newborn baby that is being placed in the hands of an adoptive family or, um, you know, volunteering to be an advocate. There are so many different ways that people can get involved and it's looking and seeking what is God placed in my life that could be a blessing to others and then step out in faith. You know, we're not called to be reckless, but we are called not to be fearful. And so I think it's fearfully stepping into the unknowns and choosing to to be that to be that flicker to be that light. Yeah. And how how can people find more about your ministry? What's the website? 
Um, they are welcome to jump on to lifevoices.org. Um, that's where you can find out more from a partnership, from an investment, from a volunteer opportunity. But I would just encourage no matter where you live, find those opportunities where you can jump in, where you can be involved. Because it's not about one organization. It's about connecting with people in your community. And if you don't have that in community, maybe that's where God's calling you to get started and ignite something that can truly happen in your community that isn't there right now. Well, I want to thank you for your really good work and for the team that you've built that is loving people. Uh, I think the way that Jesus loved people and is making a huge difference in lives and for doing the difficult work to make sure that your ministry is really helping people. Because uh, I know it's easy to jump into things haphazard and you guys have not done that. And even though I know you're learning, I just appreciate your diligence and your courage and your work. And thank you for, for being with us on the podcast. Thank you very much, guys, for the invitation. And thanks for getting more out there um, about different justice organizations and just the cause of Christ. Yeah, well, we're so thankful. And um, I, I'll see you in a meeting next week, I think. Right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Thanks guys. so much. And we'll we'll put the website to the link where you can uh, find more out about uh, Carolyn's good work with life. Um, and um, and Taylor, any last words? No, that was really good. I do not want to have the last word on this episode. Wow. First time ever. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. All right, Carolyn. Thanks so much. We'll see you all later. Hey, thank you guys so much for listening to these past two interviews with some really heavy topics and some beautiful insight from people who are at the ground level of dealing with justice in areas and that we, I don't think we always expect and in ways that can really strengthen our understanding of how we can participate in God's justice for a broken world. Please make sure to go to brianjenningsblog.com, drop us a, a review, share this with your friends on your social media platforms. That helps get the message of the gospel out to more and more people. Also, uh, leave a review or uh, just a comment on how you've been enjoying the podcast. We love to see those and maybe we'll read it uh, live. Absolutely. And next week, join us. We're going to try to unpack and just digest what we've heard the last several weeks and just do a little bit of a wrap up on this big idea of justice. I'm Taylor. And I'm Brian. Welcome to the Echo Podcast. Where we are looking for truth in the noise. Mm-hmm.